Welcome back to Wingman's Garage. This is Chris, the Wingman. And this is Tyler. Just Tyler? Tyler. Just Tyler. Seven speed? Sure, whatever. Whatever works. We're going to hit the seven speed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to episode 20, and we will be back. Welcome to Wingman's Garage, where Chris, the adventurer, Daniel, the track rat, and Tyler, the hooligan, meet to share over 40 years of writing experience. Join them as they discuss their journeys, stories, and events of life on two wheels. Oreos! <laughs> That's right. Episode 20 starts off with Oreos. Because Tyler Mucho Oreos. had a hankering for Oreos. I can't help it. I've wanted them for two days. I don't know what to say to that there. It's all about that cream filling. <laughs> Wrong podcast. <laughs> Wait, there's another one? <laughs> Fifty Shades of Tyler. <laughs> oh, boy. What a weekend. What a weekend. What a weekend. Um, I say that, and there was like zero motor- motorcycle-related anything that happened for me. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. kind of sucks. I, I need a new rear tire on the Hyper. So there was no riding, and there was a lot of... Moving stuff around for me, painting. I did watch the season opener for motocross, which started this weekend. Really? Where was that? The Outdoor Nationals at Hangtown. Hangtown. And, um, well, (laughs) so far it kind of looks like Supercross. (laughs) Oh, boy. Very exciting, actually, race. Um, Ken Roxon and Joey Sabachi took their respective, um, Starts uh, did did great. Pulled out, got to an early lead. Both motos, both of them went one one. So a little bit of domination for the weekend from those two. The Rachel looks kind of winded. Ron Dungey came in with a Hi. close second. Eli Tomac did pretty good. Um, he went four four. Uh, really in play in place. Really impressed with Blake Baggett. He come out and showed everybody what we've been, what we've been waiting for him to do. What's uh, that? And that was to get a podium finish. Ah. So, um, best finish of the year on the 450s. You know, he had he, he did great in the 250s. He's been struggling a little bit on the 450, um, especially living up to that number four that he took on, um, you know, from Ricky Carmichael's old number. And, you know, there, uh, like anything, there's that talk. You know, like when Ron Villaboto came out and he took – Announced he was taking uh, Ron Villa, or, sorry, Ron Villapoto was taking Jamie McGrath's number of two. There's always a little bit of a, will this guy live up to the, the, the legacy that number has had? Will this guy live up to the legacy his number's had? That crinkling sound you hear, my friends, is Oreos. Oreos. <laughs> Oreos. <laughs> Continue. Um, so, anyways, obviously Villapoto showed he deserved that number. He dominated Supercross for four years in a row. Um, before he had a lackluster kind of uh, finish to his career overseas. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll not get into my opinion on that rookie mistake. Um, <laughs> I shake up my milk. And by milk, I mean... Almond milk. Almond breeze vanilla. So, because little story about Tyler here. He, uh, Him and Dairy just don't get along very well. So that well. swishing you're enjoying right now is the sound of his his almond milk. <laughs> you got wow. it's there a little bit. It's definitely there. Amplify it. 
Uh, I'm recording something. I don't care. They can hear my voice for a minute. You have been sent. Oh, wow. <laughs> I guess I'm going to get milk. You got your Oreos. You're being sent. This is true. Anyways, the Tyler's now going to get milk for the Oreos for the Rachel. And everything's the here by, for some reason. But uh, There's the Sam, the podcast. That's right, the podcast. So, without much ado, um, obviously you probably noticed that there is a distinct lack of another very loud voice here. Uh, Daniel is uh, not joining us tonight for logistical reasons, meaning that he spent way too much money on his trip to Cincinnati this weekend. But hey, love you nonetheless. Um, Sorry I don't build his shoes that well. My bad. I don't think you want to fill his shoes. Probably not. No, I, don't I don't think, think you do. Wants to fill his shoes. But we do have Rachel here again this week, and uh, she can actually throw some information in later down the road on this show. I've got some questions for you. Oh, word. Yes, word. <laughs> so, I'm excited. I can be a part of this. That's right. You are a part of this. Woo! But uh, you know, getting out of motocross and back into the road racing world for a moment. Uh, again, I didn't get to follow along too much, but uh seemed like it was a very intense round of MotoGP at Mugello this weekend. Duh, Bears. Uh, no, Mugello. Duh, Bears. With, uh, sadly, with Rossi not making it through the race, his second engine of his uh, decided to let go of the magic smoke, uh, leaving Lorenzo and Marquez to battle it out. And battle they did. It was quite an intense battle with a photo finish just a hair of a second off from each other. And uh, pretty good show. Um, I know... What is very vanilla <laughs> You know, they had done a pretty uh, good uh, good run in free practice, kind of making everyone wonder maybe he shouldn't move to Suzuki, but I think that's going to be a good move there for him. Excuse me, I'm opening fat kid snacks. A child, I swear. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, that was MotoGP World. What you uh, unfortunately, I don't know anything about Moto3 and Moto2, so that's kind of where we leave off. Hang on, package number two. <laughs> then after this is package number three. <laughs> I guess kidding. I'm glad we're not going to try Would you uh, like some video streaming yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just show them... That show me licking the cream filling. Whoa, now. He's used to that. Nah. <laughs> Don't be weird. <sighs> well, that should. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Shut up. Not the one you just licked. <laughs> you almost <laughs> ate it. Oh, like, oh, I did. You hesitated for a second. You almost bit it. Uh, but anyways, that's uh, racing in a nutshell here for us, since we don't have our track resident track rat to draw in the rest of the information from. So, Tyler, let's talk about something you were uh, mentioning earlier today about helmets. Uh, buying a helmet for your child to grow into. Oh! Hmm. Oh! I ran into this at Harley. Boy. What? We all know that a lot of people will come in and say, I just want something they can grow into. Well, when your child's five, there's not a whole lot of options. And yes, they're going to grow really quickly. But do you want your helmet to protect your child now or when it's too late? 
you know, honestly, I think that you should get something that fits now. And yes, in six months, you'll have to buy another helmet. In six months from then, you'll have to buy another helmet. But guess what? If something happens between now and that first six months, something's going to be saving them. That something's going to be a properly fitted helmet. I imagine me how many people come in and they're getting their kid into riding. And I got a younger kid. And they're looking at helmets and they go, well, you know, kid's shaking it and the helmet's just like flopping down on his face. Mm -hmm. But he'll grow into it. I want to get, I don't want to buy gear every year. So I want to get something he can wear for a couple of years. I think gear and a helmet are two different things. And then they buy, so then they go look at the boots and they buy boots and the kid can't change the gears on the motorcycle. Much less walk because of the boots over their knees. They're so huge. <laughs> And they don't understand it. And they go, you know, they ask us and, and we're, of course, our response is like, you know, we, we recommend highly against that. Your kidneys be in something that fits them properly so that will protect them properly. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the first thing response we usually get is, well, of course you want to tell me that because we're going to buy gear every six months. I'm sorry. It's, it's part of the process. It's part of life. Mm -hmm. It has to fit you and do well. Now. If somebody comes in and they go, hey, my kid's getting this, and the helmet's a little loose, they're kind of in between, and they're in a youth large, and they probably need a youth medium, but it's not too bad, and the kid just bought the bike, and they're going, well, he's just riding around the yard, then yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes will look at him, and if I feel like it's close enough, I'll be like, you know, they're close enough that they're going to be all right as long as they're not doing anything crazy. Now, if they're jumping, if they're racing, but once you get somebody, I mean, Basically, if you're on a 50, it's not as big of a deal. Obviously, you want the boots to fit because they need to be able to change gears. Right. And the helmet doesn't need to be so loose that it's going to fall down in their face. But on a 50, you're not as likely to get hurt and break stuff. And, um, you're as not long really, as you got that throttle governed. Yeah, and, and you're probably not going to have somebody landing on top of you from 30 feet in the air. But once you get past that, once you hit the 65 class, I've seen got kids on 65s hitting tabletops on the track. Mm -hmm. That I hit on a 450. Now, obviously, they're not going to hit a 150 foot tabletop, but they'll hit a 50 or 75 foot. Mm -hmm. And Just when you hard. when you're at that point and you're riding that hard or you're riding in the woods, because a lot of people go, oh, well, I don't need that protection because I'm riding in the woods. Have you hit a tree at 30 miles an hour? <laughs> it's not going to feel good. I would rather crash in fifth gear on a motocross track and tumble down the dirt than smack a tree at 20 or 30 miles an hour in the woods. Right. Because it hurts. Trees don't move. <laughs> um, At all. But yeah, so I mean, just if you're buying your child gear, just suck it up. Buy the stuff that fits. If we look at you with your kid, and you tell us that he needs an adult medium, and we're saying no, he needs a youth medium, listen to us. If your kid doesn't want to cooperate and put on a properly fitted helmet because they honestly don't know what to expect, prepare them for it in the first place. And suck it up. Just because the kid's throwing a hissy fit doesn't mean you go with the bigger helmet. You let them calm down. You explain to them what's going on. And make them try on the helmet that we recommend. I find it so and funny that you're talking about kids doing this. <clears throat> and the safety factor for the kids. I ran into this with grown adults. Oh, probably. yeah. Well, we deal with it all the time, even with oh. adults. Like Because they'll come in and they'll want their half shoulder, their three quarter. <clears throat> and I would sit it on their head. And they'd be like, oh, no, that's too tight. So I'd go up to the next size and, like, 
you could literally pick it up off and on their head. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that's good. And I'm like, no, that that's not it. They're like, oh, but this one doesn't squeeze my head. And I was like, I don't think you understand that yeah. you need that. But this one doesn't squeeze my exactly. cheeks. You need that. It's supposed to squeeze your cheeks, you moron. Yeah, it's going to be tight initially, and you need to get it as snug as you can possibly handle. I use the term moron loosely. Some of them are complete and total <laughs> morons. Some of them just need to be educated. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, even with the ones without that, you spend the time, you educate, you explain to them what it needs to feel like. No, 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 I just I just need, the, need it looser. It needs to be looser. And I know that a lot of people don't buy the helmets because it's Tennessee State Law. You have to have mm-hmm. a helmet. You and have to, right. But even then. It's like, if you might as well get one that's going to protect you somewhat if you do. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole issue with the helmet moving around on your head. Oh, it feels so comfortable, but it's rolling on your head. If if you hit the ground and it rolls, it's going to do more damage than it is going to do anything to protect you. Think about this. Have you ever seen a football player whose helmet went moved down in his when he tackled somebody and they broke their nose? Um. <laughs> well, that's because he was wearing the wrong size helmet. <laughs> yes. But he, and the thing is, even sometimes if they're close to the right size, depending on how you're built, I mean, it may be possible to move, but that's the point. That rotates down, the cusp of the of the top of the the eye port hits them in the nose, mm-hmm. and either cuts them or, and really hard hits, breaks their nose. Mm-hmm. Now imagine that's you running at all of twelve miles an hour into another human being. Now imagine when you hit the ground at sixty repeatedly. Yeah. Looking at the back side of your helmet is nor neither comfortable nor fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, proper fit, whether it's for you or for your child, is important. And not six months down the road, not a year, not three years, but right now. And again, I mean, while I'm hashing on somewhat of the like the little kids. At, there is an age where it's going to be hard for us to get your kid into something mm-hmm. that fits him exactly what it is. At two and four years old, starting out on dirt bikes like a lot of people do, there's a lot of stuff out there. But especially if your child is a smaller child, stuff's going to be a little bit loose. And we get that. We understand it. And, I mean, to a point, there's, um, I think, Fly. Somebody offers some boots that they actually sell an insole. Mm-hmm. You buy the next size up. You put an insole in it, and it actually has, like, a stopper at the end of it. That takes up the slack so that you're, so that it fits properly, and something like that in the proper age, as long as you don't go ridiculous, mm-hmm. isn't that bad. But again, as you start getting up to that 65, 85, 100s, you you've just got to eat it. You got to bite it. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. It costs money. It's a lot cheaper than the medical bills are going to be if that yes. gear doesn't do its job. So, and again, you need to you need to listen to your your apparel specialist if they look at your kid and have them sized up and say the youth, he is a youth medium. Don't go up to the youth large just so you can get an extra year or six months out of that helm. And don't listen to the kid. To a point, in a way, yes. But generally speaking, don't listen to the kid because most kids are going to come in. They're going to put a helmet on. You're going to explain to them, hey, this is something you're starting. This is how this helmet is supposed to fit. Mm-hmm. They're not going to like it. Right. Some kids are totally cool that they don't care, but I get some kids that they put on the helmet. It fits them exactly like it needs to. Might even be a little bit on the loose side. And they they throw a fit and they want to cry. And I either get the parent that – you get one of two parents at that point. You either get the parent that says, well, he's crying and I think he – and he says he needs a bigger size. 
Yep. So we want the bigger size. Mm-hmm. My lesson to that is your child is four. He doesn't know what he needs. Yes. Now, the other side of that is you get the parents that I like to see, which explain to the child if, it, if, they, won't, if they don't want to try them on or if they're throwing a fit or the runner. You know, they give them a couple ultimatums. First ultimatum being, if you don't try this stuff on and let us size it up, you're not going to get to ride your bike because you can't ride it without any stuff. Yep. Usually that calms the kid down. The other option is they look at them and say, look, this is what he says you need. You'll get used to it. You're going to have to live with it. You're going to have to suck it up. Mm-hmm. If you keep trying, I'm not going to let you ride your bike. <clears throat> yep. Um, so I- either way, you explain to the kid, look, this is what you've got to have, and you're going to have to get used to it, mm-hmm. like it or not. And and usually I'm not seeing kids that when when the kid, the parent says suck it up, they usually do. Ten minutes later, they're like ex- – they don't care. They can right. run around with all that gear on, mm-hmm. and they're ecstatic because they're mm-hmm. getting a bike, and they're getting their gear, and they're – so it's just getting comfortable. Um, and I've seen kids get upset and cry because it's kind of weird having a stranger put something on your head that's not exactly comfortable to you. Right. So, but the, thing get that, that. the biggest thing that brought this up was I had a, a kid come in today. I sized him perfectly. He, he's a kart racer. He's probably 15 or 16. And he was between a medium and a large. And I looked at it. I sized him up, and I told him, realistically, after it breaks in, I feel like the large is going to be a little bit too big. And considering he's carting, considering the, the potential for him to flip over, mm-hmm. and if he gets pinned under that cart and he's sliding down the track, the forces are going to be a little bit stronger than he would just loose body on on the ground as if you were on a motorcycle. They're going to want to try to pull that helmet off. And so I told him, like, the medium fits you the way it needs to, and since you're racing – a sanction of it. It definitely needs you to definitely be need to be on the tighter side. So <clears throat> he got home. His dad looked at it. His dad called back and was, "Well, I think he's going to outgrow this by next year. So I want to buy him the next size up." And I told him, "I thought I said, look, you can come in. I've got other sizes. If that's what you absolutely have to and want to do, I'm like, that's up to you." I told him, "I says is is a little bit. It's close. It was in between, but." I, you know, I said, as knowing that he is actually racing a motorsport with his helmet, I'm going to tell you that I have to advise against that. I can't advise that you go up to the next side and get him a loose-fitting helmet when he's racing open, you know, open-wheel carts. Um, just the, the potential to crash, the potential, um, you know, you're on asphalt. Um, you know, so, Grant, he's going to come see me. We're going to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to kind of explain that to him. Mm-hmm. And if I can't persuade him, he'll switch for, to a large. And it's, Hopefully nothing happens. Yeah, and, and I'll say it's close enough. I mean, if somebody come in tomorrow and they needed a small and they wanted a 2X and they tried to walk out with a 2X, I've had people that have bought a size too big and I suck it up and basically, hey, it's your funeral. I can't tell you any otherwise. If you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to sell it to you. But if you come in and you are a size small and you put a 2X on and I can smack you on one side and it spins around your head like a top. I will refuse to sell you that helmet. You're right. You may get mad at me. You may hate me. You may get up on Facebook and badmouth our shop and talk about how we made you feel inferior and like you were a dumbass. And but at that point, you, you were because you just weren't getting it. But exactly. And gear, again, gear needs to be properly fitted to protect you. Just like buying a jacket that's too large for what you need. You know, a lot of guys walk in and they put a sport bike jacket on and it's like, Dude, this is too tight. Why is it so short? It's supposed to be that way. One, you uh, sport bike, you want your jacket to be snug and form-fitting because you're aerodynamic. Two, 
it keeps all the armor where it's supposed to be. That's any jacket that's riding, made for riding. <clears throat> if your jacket's a size too large or two sizes because, you know, you're a thug and you wear an extra large when you're really a small, you know, if you hit the ground, guess where your armor's going to be? Not where you're hitting. It's going to be moving around. So, again, a lot of you out there who ride know all this by now. You know, you've been riding for X plus years. You should know this. But for the new guys who are listening, keep that in mind. You know, even if you're riding a cruiser, if it's got armor in it, it needs to fit properly. Yeah, there's, there's ways you may be able to come in. And, and But I want to be able to put, you know, a hoodie and a couple other things on it in the wintertime to, to light it up. You're buying a perforated leather jacket built for the summer. I, I understand struggling for money because I've been there and many times I still am there. And I get that we can't all go spend a ton of money on stuff. And I think people forget that talking to us sometimes. They think just because we work, work in the bike shop that we get an absolute, just anything we want for free or we get like, mm-hmm. pay like $20 for leather jackets or something. And it's not the case. I mean, we are lucky enough that sometimes we do get some free things. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> plug. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute here. Uh, um, but, you know, we're, we're just like everybody else. We make about the same, often less than most of our customers that come in the door. Mm-hmm. Most. And so we less. definitely, under, we, we, we know and we understand. And that's why if you'll listen to us, we'll try to point you. And if you you can tell us, you know, I always ask somebody, what's your budget? And they say, I don't know. Or they say, I don't care. If you say I don't care, I'm assuming that you make good money and literally I can sell you the best of the best. And I'm going to try to sell you the best of the best, not because I make that much money on it. Because generally we make more money on the, the crappy stuff has the right margins, um, but because we want we want to put you in the best and safest thing we can as you're going out the door, and if you tell us you can afford the best thing, then that's what we're going to try to put you in. Um, now that being said, is that a brain fart? <laughs> that <happens often. laughs> That's what that smell was. Gotcha. <laughs> Middle of conversation, and I just completely lost track of what I was You were talking about um, um, not spending money yes. on the cheapest jacket you can so, get. Yeah, back to the jacket. So basically, if you're buying a jacket, and, and here's the thing. I know so many people come in, well, I want to be able to ride in the winter. And they do not ride in the winter. When they say winter, they mean 50 degrees. I mean, in much So winter. here's the deal. Buy the jacket. Fit it the way it's supposed to fit for the majority of the time you're going to wear it. If you're buying a leather jacket and you're buying a perforated jacket and you want something that's going to be kind of cool during the summer but do its job protecting you, you need to size it up to you with a t-shirt on. Mm-hmm. And, or if you're going to wear a back protector or something, size it up with a back protector. Right. On. But don't buy it and size it up with a big, fat, extra-large hoodie on. Yeah, take the hoodie off. And, and then take that off and then want to wear it like that in the summer with just a t-shirt because it's going to be so baggy and so loose it is not going to do its job. If you not at all. And it's going to go flapping in the breeze like a flag. And I think we see too much that people have those issues, mm-hmm. and they have crashes, and then they come in, and they go, man, that jacket just sucks. It didn't even do anything. Or, man, I got all sorts of torn up. Were you wearing your gear? Yeah, man. And so then all of a sudden that turns into, well, man, I was wearing gear, and I got torn up anyway, so I'm just not going to wear gear anymore. Mm-hmm. Again. You only got you got torn up because you weren't wearing the proper fitting or the proper gear right. for the situation you were in. So. And again, that's up to your apparel specialist to, to properly educate you. But at the same time, you need to listen to what they tell you. You know, again, I know not every parts guy is going to be like the two of us and actually be looking out for your best interest. 
But when you come in looking for a jacket, especially if you've never done this before, and even if you have done this before and we see you pick out something we know is way too big for you, we will say something about that because we want this to protect you. Ultimately, that's what we're doing. It's up to us to make sure you get the right gear. It's up to you to listen to our our recommendations. You know, Again, if you're wearing that extra large jacket because you picked it out when you were wearing a hoodie because you wouldn't take it off to try on a jacket properly, guess what? That's on you. Now, that being said, if you're looking for a one-jacket solution for most of the year, there's a lot of really good options. A $99 mesh jacket isn't it at all. I mean, there's companies out there that make great all-year jackets, well, for the most part, all year. You know, they're going to have removable liners. They're going to have panels that come off. Some of it's going to just have vents uh, that are zippered. Some of them are waterproof. I mean, Icon's got some. Oxford's got some. Oxford's got some good ones. Um, Joe Rocket's got some really good ones. Yeah. Even then, I mean, you get a lot of three-season jackets. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a a select few four-seasons out there that really claim to take you through the dead of winter and the the meat of summer. The only issue I find with those, and we have some in our shop, um, because there's always going to be someone interested in buying those, but the issue I have with them is the fit. Because when you have something that's got four liners in it, it, you kind of run into that thing. By the time you get to the outer mesh layer, which on a lot of these jackets is a lot softer and moves around a lot more than even, say, like a leather jacket does, you end up with this jacket that's it's either really, really tight in the wintertime and fits okay during the summertime, or it fits good during the wintertime or the colder months, and when you take two or three liners out of it, it's to the point where it's almost starting to swallow you. Mm-hmm. So... Ultimately, there's there's an option for every budget, and if you have the money, I would still recommend to buy a dedicated summer jacket and a dedicated winter jacket if you're going to do the two, mm-hmm. and go for two two seasons. Go for something that's going to get you through the winter and in mm-hmm. a little bit warmer weather. You know, say, I don't know, depending on how cold it is where you're at, but let's say it's, if you can ride at 30 and 40 degrees ambient temperature, and it'll take you up to riding in... 50 degrees, 60 degrees ambient temperature. Right. And then get you something that'll take you from 50, 60, 70 up to 90. Now, if you want something that's going to be comfortable at 100 degrees outside, which is really and truly basically nothing, but doing the best you can, you're, you're going to have to get into a bigger spread of jackets. But So I always recommend to people, if you can do it, if you can swing it, swing to, um, just because I don't like four-season jacket fitments. No, but when you get to try to do too much in one jacket, then you run into some issues. But again, yeah. they're out there if you need the one. And like you said, there's a good, a lot of good ones. I like, like I love the Oxford because the Oxford is kind of a three-season, mm-hmm. and really it's more of a mesh jacket with a wind blocker slash waterproof mm-hmm. liner that's very thin, mm-hmm. um, and then you have a a thermal liner. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of acts like you've got one liner in it because the 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 waterproof liner, the windproof wind blocker is so thin it really doesn't change the fit of the jacket right. and you're able to go from that you know wind blocker 60 to 70 degree day up to that mesh vented you know 85 95 degree day and then when it gets a little bit chillier you can get to that kind of 54 maybe even 40 degrees depending on how tolerant you are mm-hmm. um, by putting that that inner liner back into it so there's definitely some great options out right. there and of but, course you know if you really only have enough money for one jacket you know, honestly, if you're getting into the beginning of the riding season, go ahead, buy a, a good 
mesh jacket, but save up the money to buy something for the cooler months down the road. Um, again, like I said, you can have a one jacket solution, but usually it's better to have two dedicated jackets for whatever type of season you're riding in. Uh, you know, having a collection like the two of us have, that doesn't happen overnight. It's something that years and years of riding have allowed us to accumulate. I think my so, oldest jacket's like 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. So, uh, you know, spend, I, I should say it's like 12 or 13 years old with me and I got it used <laughs> off a buddy of mine. Right. So if you're get, if you're going to sp- spend money on gear or a helmet, make sure you are getting the best you can afford to get within your budget. When you go and you spend as little money as possible, you usually get what you pay for. You know, there are $99 mesh jackets. So there's $69 mesh jackets out there. Yeah, they'll do their job, but if you can afford to spend a little bit more, usually you get what your money's worth. But on that note, anything else you want to say about the gear topic? Um, because I, I, there's something that popped up today I want to talk about. I think that's a, that, that <laughs> kind of sums up my rant for the okay for the evening. Oh, um, more and more these days you're starting to see a lot of alternative. Machines on the road, you know, uh, the Can-Am Spider being one of them, <laughs> you know. The, the newest one is the Slingshot by Polaris. Uh, so, kind of funny story. I, I came back down from between here and the new garage and had to stop off and get gas. And as I'm sitting there, older gentleman pulls in with his uh, brand new shiny black and orange Polaris Slingshot. I'll admit it's cool. It, it's really cool, and I think it looks like a lot of fun. We're talking about it, and apparently he just bought it like two weeks ago, and he's only put 200 miles on it, and he kept calling it his bike. The what? Yeah, it's my bike, and I've, I've always wanted one, so I just bought this. You like my bike? Dude, it's a slingshot. It's not a bike. There's nothing about this that's a bike. Yes, it's classified as a motorcycle because you have to wear a helmet. It has a steering wheel. It's not a bike. Not even that. Isn't it three wheels? Is that what, it's is that three the wheels. thing I'm thinking of? Okay, yeah. yeah. That's a trike. A trike and a bike are not the same. No. Like, uh, now, a can spider. A can spider, yeah, that is a trike because you have handlebars. And that's, in my personal opinion, it's like still pushing it. It's a car with three wheels. The, yeah, the yeah, slingshot is a slingshot. It's a three-wheel yeah. car. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You, it's got car tires on all four corners, or all four, all three corners. <laughs> You have a seat with seat belts. Yeah, it's you have a windshield, and you have a steering wheel with a hand-selected gear shifter. Yeah, I'm sorry. It, again, it was beautiful, and I'm not going to begrudge him that. It made him happy. And that's all that matters. But a slingshot is not a bike. Nope. Now, if you're a slingshot owner, you disagree with me. Hit us up. Explain to me why it's not why it is a bike. I'd love to hear reasonings behind it, but it's not a bike. I don't even really consider. It's like a really, really cool go kart. Like, well, I, I, I can't go. <laughs> I can't call a, a Goldwing trike a motorcycle per se. It it kind of is. Yeah. At least the front half, anyways. At least it has handlebars. But it's kind of mm-hmm. on the same page as the the Can-Am Spider. It's like I will say when somebody gives. Somebody that rides a Goldwing trike gives a Can-Am Spider a hard time. I'm like, you realize y'all have the same amount of wheels, right? <laughs> You're just riding it backwards. <laughs> yeah. 
which, if anything, is more talented. <laughs> right. He just realized the spider's faster in reverse than yours is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at, at least it does have handlebars and a clutch and things right. like that. I mean, I, I get it. It's one of those ways of getting people who aren't normally exposed to the world out and kind of experiencing the same things we do on a motorcycle. And, you know, at least you're open air. It's but you it's can get not that in a convertible. Though. That's true, but it's, it's weird because I think I think the law should be written a little bit differently for the way cars and things like that are done. Because to me, the fact that a slingshot can get passed as a motorcycle, right? But you can't street legal an ATV to ride on the street like a sport mm-hmm. quad or something because it has four wheels. And therefore, all of a sudden, needs a windshield and a cage and a top and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. Well, I mean, what about a Miata? I mean, I know Miatas aren't really sports cars either, but hey, <laughs> Peter Griffin says so. <laughs> but why don't you need a helmet when you drive a Miata? Right. Right? I mean, it's the it's, same thing. And I think part of it's the class. Like, it, were a slingshot classified as a car, you probably wouldn't have to have a helmet on while you're driving. Right. But it is what it is, and, and it's it, an interesting discussion, to say the least. But, yeah, I, I don't... I... I think that if you ride a motorcycle, if you have a motorcycle license and your car license, I think there should be a class for trikes. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have a car license, you should have to get a trike license to drive a three-wheeler. Right. But I think if you have a motorcycle license, I think it should be a subcategory per se. Right. Like, in other words... You can have a, a class D for your ordinary driver's license and a class M, and the M would cover trikes. the sub of trikes. Right. Or you can get a T class or a T endorsement for trikes only. Right, but it wouldn't cover motorcycles. So if right. you get a trikes only, you can ride a Can M Spider, you can drive mm-hmm. a, and that's the thing, you can drive a slingshot um, and things like that, but you wouldn't legally be able to go ride a motorcycle. Right. And, and I, I would be fine with that because. It's very – if you can ride a motorcycle and you can drive a car, you can bridge the gap between because you, you do both. But if you drive a car and you get in a slingshot, you may be able to drive a slingshot perfectly fine, but that does not mean you have any business being on a motorcycle. Right, because, and, I mean, honestly, dri- driving something like a Can-Am Spider is very different because, you know, if you're, you're riding, from, uh, riding a motorcycle for any length of time, you have this thing called counter-steering. Mm-hmm. On a spider, there's no such thing. If you turn your handlebar to the right, or if you push the right handlebar, guess where you're going? I think you're going to go left. That's right. You're going to go left. Wait, wait, which thing? If you're pushing the right handlebar, I'm pushing. Yes, yes, you're going to go left. On a motorcycle, make you go right. It'll make you go left because that's where the wheels are not pointing. I've decided that the person who invented the spider. Was someone that was angry that they couldn't take their sport quad on the road. <laughs> so Pretty said, much. let's get rid of one wheel on the back. Pretty much. And we're good. <laughs> you know, and that's the other thing. On a spider, you're you still have a twist throttle. Basically, your right hand does nothing but operate the throttle while your left hand does all the steering. Very weird. Um you know, now that being said, I don't take anything away from people who ride trikes. Because they are no longer physically able to ride a real motorcycle. You see this a lot with the older crowd who ride, um, who no longer have the lower body strength necessary to lift the big Goldwing off of the kickstand. 
Um, I or can't even a Harley. The kickstand. Right now, I, I fully understand that because at least you're still riding. You're still on a bike. Granted, you have three wheels, but you don't have stability issues. Now, if you're 25, like this guy, mm-hmm. and 25, whatever, sure, sure, 25, and Shut up. you just think trikes are cool. Get on a real motorcycle. <laughs> Get on something with two wheels and learn what it is to actually ride. The old timers who have been doing this all their life and they can't ride on two wheels, they deserve it. They can do whatever the hell they want. They put their time in. Yes, they put their time in. They know what it's like to lean into a corner and hit the apex and come back out. That being said, do not try to race a Ninja 300. Or sorry, do not try to race a Goldwing on your Ninja 300. You will get embarrassed. Yes. <laughs> Very easily. And actually, a lot of 600s will get embarrassed, too, if you're not paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, a 1,000 will get spanked if you're not paying attention. If you're a little lazy, they will kick your ass. Yeah, if you're like, well, I'll just roll in it, partial throttle, and then you're going to be going, what the shit? That's his brake lights. <laughs> <laughs> right? You'll be surprised at how quick a well-ridden Goldwing can be, even in the corners. You can pop a wheelie on one. I don't recommend it, <laughs> but uh, you can do it. Goldwings are actually kind of awesome. But I digress. I'll buy one when I'm 50. Well, I, I guess let's segue into something else here. Because uh, we just finally, 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 finally got our first glimpse of a bike that we've been waiting for since Honda announced it, what, six months ago? Wow. It's my, it's my African dance. <laughs> you should just bust it out into Lion King music. <laughs> Don't start. <laughs> That's right. The African twin has finally come out for the masses to see. And it is beautiful. It is. Actually, it is quite impressive. That was very demonic. <laughs> beautiful. Just wait till I'm done with it. Sexy. <laughs> okay, Batman. <laughs> Bat Bale. Bad man. Um, Where's the catnip? <laughs> Where's the catnip? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And we just lost it. Um, but yeah, the African Twin is. And we have is, taken a turn for the worse. <laughs> yes, it's quite a nice bike. Unfortunately, none of us got to actually ride it. But we did throw our leg over. If you've been looking at our Instagram. I sought out it and revved it. You would have seen it. Yeah. But, uh,. As per usual, Honda um, operandi, whatever you want to call it, it, it's a very nicely finished machine. All the usual refinements you expect to see in something made by Honda. It's a little tall, but the suspension is so pliant. Once you get on it, it kind of just disappears. I would, I would almost say that it actually is one of the nicest bike. Excuse me. It'd only be $13,000 MSRP. That bike, to me, is actually finished. I don't really know what else would, would be up there. I mean, obviously the Gold Wings are always going to be like their nicest mm-hmm. bike they've got. But I mean, even like the CBR1000 that's out right now, like, 
it's done up as nice as one of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just feels quality. Now, obviously, I mean, it, it felt you, know, you have your your other class. You've got your CBR three hundreds yeah. and your your CBR five hundreds and and some of the other you know lower end bikes, your Ruckuses, and and they all have a good level of quality, but they definitely aren't at the tier that the one thousand is or this new Africa twin is or or the Gold Wings are. Um, but yeah, it, very very nice. And I mean, look at the pictures. It looks cool. You. you you didn't really know how what to expect. How big is this bike going to be? Is it going to be super Tenere sized? Is it going to be Ducati Multistrada sized? Right. Is it going to be Triumph Tiger sized? Like, it, and it really is kind of Triumph Tiger sized. It's, right. it's, it's a smaller lot. than the the Multi. It's it's plenty big enough, and it looks like I believe it's going to have plenty of wind protection that you could easily ride this thing to California and back. Plenty of room to even have a passenger with you. Mm-hmm. Throw your luggage on. But it's in a small enough package that, for instance, if you're vertically challenged like I am, it isn't quite as intimidating to ride. And, I mean, I, I grew up on dirt bikes, so I'm used to being able to put only one foot down or barely tippy-toe or, you know, you, you stop at a red light and even like me on your hyper. Mm-hmm. I got to kick over and kind of sit right. on my the back of my thigh, per se, and get my butt completely off the seat to get myself mm-hmm. enough height. To really comfortably stand the bike straight up and down. Now I can lean the bike to one side and, and kind of get on the ball right. of my foot. But you know, so because of that reason, you know, I could probably ride something like a multi-strata and be okay because it's not it's not, it's not as much of a mental block for me. Right. But that being said, I don't think I would want a multi-strata as an everyday bike because it is big enough, it is heavy enough, it is enough of a pain in the butt. If I get stuck in traffic in it, then I'm not going to want to constantly shift and worry about that big beast of a bike falling over. Now, if I'm riding to California back, and I'm probably not really going to stop totally now, mm-hmm. um, I will say from from a looking at the two of them, uh, you know, before I, I didn't know, you know, I wanted to see when this comes out, what's my opinion, because I was like, I would either get a Multistrada or I would get a Tiger 800. Um, after seeing the Multistrada, granted, I've not ridden it. I think if I was getting something only for the street, I'd probably go with multi. As long as I was only getting it for long tours, if I was getting something off road, I think the multi is actually completely out for me. Even the enduro. Even the enduro. Because it has well, there's a absolutely no ground clearance. Right. Well, I I will say this, and I love the multi stratas we talked about on several previous episodes. They're beautiful. The beautiful bison. I really really want one, but. When you compare it to something like the, the Triumph Tiger XC, you compare it to the uh, the Africa Twin. I mean, hell, even if you compare it to the uh, V-Strom 1000 or the Versus 1000, which really don't compete, um, you can buy the Triumph Tiger. You can buy the Africa Africa Twin together, or you can buy a brand new multi-struck. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, realistically, I think personally that the, the, the Triumphs are always very well built, um, which is a very big compliment to Triumph since 2002, really. But I think the Africa Twin was actually just as refined and a little more simplified than the Multistrada. I think the Multistrada ultimately is the adventurer's goldwing. Pretty much. And, you know, because a lot of people have said that about that. They are fast. They are powerful. Mm-hmm. And they say they do handle phenomenally on the road. Even the Enduro. Yeah. Even the Enduro. So, yeah, with the with the 21-inch front wheel that's on the 
uh, Africa Twin. It's got the biggest front wheel of any of them because you got a 19 on the Tiger and you got a 19 on the Enduro. So you're jumping up two more sizes. Well, that means the Africa Twin with the ground clearance and the tire setup is going to be the most friendly off-road of the three. Mm-hmm. The other thing being, I mean, pricing-wise, it's it's right there with the Triumph Tiger. So I would say between the two, I'd, I'd ride them and figure out, do you like the triple power better? Do you like the twin power better? Mm-hmm. Um, I've still not gotten to ride one. Once I have, I'll be able to compare the two because I've ridden both. Um, but I think even just kind of sitting on it, I mean, I'm still leaning towards the Africa Twin, partially because of the looks, too. I think the Africa it Twin looks really cool. is a very good-looking bike. Um, but, I mean, I would still love to have a multi at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it'd be interesting to see just how capable the three of them are. So, right. um, Honda, Ducati, Triumph, if you're listening, hook us up. Send us three of them. We'll, That's uh, right. We'll do a we'll, we'll take a cross country tour and hell yes we will hit everything we can and and we'll let you know what we think right in the meantime we'll we'll bench race <laughs> exactly and you know between the two again triumphs I know people have taken these things to incredible lengths you know doing several trans Alaska runs um, you know right up there with the V Strom six fifty which is a great little adventure bike. Um, once you do a few things to it, you can make them into a very competent world traveler. Um, but that being said, between the two, I'd be hard pressed because honestly, the the Africa Twins are really just kind of scratching that itch. You know, it's it's such a capable sounding bike, even if you go with the automatic transmissions, which throws me off off road. But um, I know the DCT works. Because I've they, uh, the NC700. They said they revised it a little bit in this bike, too. So mm-hmm. it's supposed to work even better than the other renditions have. Which, um, on the, the CTX and the NC, actually worked and amazingly reading well. the reviews, uh, I was actually surprised in... What was the magazine I read? Was it Road Racing World that did a, had a segment on it? I don't know. It was Adventure Bike. Um, I was going to say. <laughs> well, that's what, I was like, why would it be in that magazine? You never know. There's some interesting stuff in there sometimes, though. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was Adventure Bike. And they were talking about it, and they actually concluded at the end of the article that if they were picking one, they would pick the DCT. Hmm. Which I was I was very surprised, because they did mention that they were highly impressed with the way it operated, even off-road. Mm-hmm. Um, because they immediate, you know, you think, well, I'm going to have to have a clutch. Um, so, I don't know. I'm a little bit, I think, too much of a hoon. To have a, uh, you know, and that's the one thing. A clutch. Oh, I think right. I need the clutch for my my uh, my peace of mind, really. Well, um, I know. I was gonna say my um, less than sometimes appropriate mannerisms. Your antisocial on tendencies. Yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> you know, and having ridden the CTX 700 uh, more than I really wanted to, um, which had the DCT transmission. Um, it worked well. I didn't really think about it until I was coming in much hotter than I should have in a corner where the only way I could make it work properly would be to switch into the manual transmission mode and bump down to the gear I needed it to be in and manually upshift. You know, if you were to leave it in completely automatic, it would try to downshift at the worst times. And then it wouldn't upshift when you needed it to. Uh, again, riding no. much more aggressively than most people on CTX will. In the 1300 CTX that we had? No, that was a manual. That was a manual one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that was actually a surprisingly nice bike to ride. It, if not very weird. 
Yeah. The CTX 1300 was a very, very weird bike. I didn't know if it was a sport bike, sport tour bike or a cruiser. Um, it kind of did everything, but didn't do anything well. It's like a Goldwing and a Valkyrie mix. Yeah. 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 Um, which is exactly what the latest Gold Valkyrie is. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Pretty much. Hey, let's come out with another F6B, only make it hideous and pretend it's a really cool bike and bring <laughs> right. back a Valkyrie name. Right. Now, Honda, you failed on that one. Uh, kind of like the do not buy motorcycle. The DNS on do not order one. Do not order. <laughs> DNO one, yes. Um, but, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, that new Valkyrie, you either loved it or you hated it. And if you had an old Valkyrie, you hated it. Period. Again, there's that period of time which Honda's been designing bikes for everybody else's taste outside of the U.S. Um, but that being said, Honda has another bike that would kind of fulfill the same role that we're looking for, and it's based off of their VFR 1200. In fact, it's a VFR 1200X. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I might add for the styling of the last generation, v- well, the only generation VFR 1200. This was a much better fit. Yeah. It actually looks good as an adventure bike. It does. It does. As a sport tour, it looked awful. Yes. It, it's like the NC700 all grown up with a real motor. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, I think it's still more multi-strata than, you know, hardcore super tenere off-road bike. Um, but it and looks I, good. And I think... That there's a point to that because one, the price on it is going to be substantially more. I think it's well, it's still relatively priced the same I as think the Africa Twin. It's thirteen five. No, it's twelve. Twelve thirteen. Sure? Yeah. I could have sworn it was more than that. <clears throat> no, it's actually priced very similar, and I guess it it gives the Honda Adventure Rider a choice if they're going to be if they're serious about being able to go off road. You've got the Africa Twin. If they want more adventure based on the street, that VFR 1200X is going to be a great bike for them. Because you've got the V4, which Honda knows how to build a very good V4. Why don't you put it in more things? <laughs> but, you know, again, they also know how to get, build a good parallel twin, since how many of their previous bikes were all based on parallel twins. Is it true? That... Again, all I did was rev it in the parking lot, but that Africa Twin feels very smooth. Very smooth. And it actually doesn't sound terrible for being completely muted. <laughs> you know, yeah. for EPA. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it, and hopefully one day we'll actually get to throw our leg over one and actually go down the road. Jimmy! Very far down the road. Like for the weekend on one. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, yeah, I guess with that being said, I want to talk about something else that's been bothering me. Okay, either the cat meowed, she farted, or your stomach ground. Or all three. We'll go with it. <laughs> um, we were talking about the noise uh, or the sound control on these bikes. And why bikes are regulated noise-wise and how that plays into things. No one's asking you. You need to be sound regulated. I think it's amazing that the noise regulations in Europe have gotten so bad Mm -hmm. that, like, for instance, 
Ducati has actually had to add thicker material to their clutch cover. Huh. Because the bike wouldn't pass the the um, noise emissions testing due to clutch noise. Clutch noise. Like when mechanical noise of the bike is too loud, I think there's an issue. Like Europe, no, you need right. to drop your your standards a little bit because that's just ridiculous. It's almost like living in California. <laughs> Did you, you just know? fart? No, that was my stuff. Okay. Oh, uh, like my head's near way too close to that for. <laughs> um, Payback. You know, and like on the hypermotard, there's a, a valve that they put in the exhaust. Now, a lot of other companies like Yamaha will claim this is a power valve, you know, that <laughs> will increase torque at lower RPM. Well, guess what? It's not. All it's there for is to reduce sound levels anywhere between idle to 5,000 RPM. Because that's on a, on my hyper. That's when it opens up, and uh, it's all in regards to sound well, emissions. And then if I quit, yeah, yes, that. <laughs> okay, uh, what I was trying to say is if I could quit yawning. Um, there's also the interesting fact that every Ducati is geared too damn high, mm-hmm. and it's for a reason. They set them up to be geared, and then they raise the front sprocket up a tooth. To drop all the RPMs down across the range, so that the emissions will pass better, so they don't have to be quite as stringent on their exhaust. Exactly. And then when you buy it, you bring it home, and the first thing you do is take the chain off, fourteen tooth sprocket on it, get rid of that freaking sprocket that's on it already, and go down a tooth. That's <laughs> right, and that made a huge difference on the hypermotard. But again, I Japanese bikes are the mine. same way. You know, they are all very quiet. In fact, I remember when I had the FZ09, if I was moving and I revved it, I couldn't hear. It. It was it was so weak and tiny, but then if you open up the pipe, you get a slip-on or a full system on it, because that's really all you can get for the FZ09, realistically, and then you can really hear what that triple sounds like, and there's nothing like the sound of a triple. But when you do that, then you throw off your air-fuel ratio, especially at the low end, because now you're no longer dealing with the pre-programmed fuel injection. Sure, the O2 sensors adjust a little bit here and there, but you get to that point where without either a power commander or a bazaz or a complete ECU reflash with appropriate uh, to, uh, fuel map to go with it, you're going to be running super lean. What pipe did you put on your MC? I didn't. I still had the stock pipe when I got rid of it. Oh. But yeah, and that's a big thing. And People always ask, do I really need a power commander? Well, yes and no. You need something if you decide to do anything other than the stock exhaust. Bless you. Thank you. Whether you use a power commander or a juice box or Vance and High's fuel tuner or whatever is out there, or the big thing now is just an ECU reflash, which reprograms the ECU so you don't need additional hardware. It's getting with all the electronics that are coming out on the bikes now. It's starting to get a little bit more finicky throwing mm-hmm. a power commander on. Yes. And using piggyback tuners because they're not accepting the inputs mm-hmm. in such a friendly manner as they used to. Exactly. You know, and that's the thing, like uh, doing a lot of research with the Hypermotard, you know, I could have got a power commander for it, but then it doesn't control anything below 5,000 RPM. That's still 
overridden by the O2 sensor. And no matter how you adjust the, the low end on with the power commander, you still can't fix it. And again, the only way to do anything with it is to run it on an open loop, which kills the O2 sensor entirely. Now you can actually map out the bottom. But you still need to do something. So if you buy a full exhaust, or in the case of some of these newer bikes like the new ZX-10, the headers are so good you don't need a full system anymore. You just buy the, the three-quarter pipe, which is really just the muffler, a slip-on. A lot of them come with titaniums, and, <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're engineered so well that, uh, like you said, they don't... And I would be hard-pressed to really say that a lot of full exhausts, even 10 years ago, didn't make that much of a difference. Mm -hmm. um, you know, If anything, they had a little bit more open piping size towards the back side of them. Less catalytic converter or none at all. Yeah, and, and that probably the biggest ones that, to change for back then would be those things. Do the full exhaust because you had a cat that was made into your head pipe. Yep, and um, weighed a lot. Jixers, yeah. for instance. Mm -hmm. R6. Yep. Anything with that under... I mean, my, my bike has a slip-on, and, and buying a full... Actually, I don't even think Termi even offers... A full exhaust for my bike. Mm -mm. I think they only offer a slip-on because, I mean, the head pipes are, they're big and fat and they're all you need mm -hmm. and they're, I mean, it, it, I mean, hell, you put the two of our bikes together and they're relatively similar engine-wise. <laughs> oh boy. You know, both of our bikes have very similar engines, yet his sounds dramatically better. <laughs> I mean, amazingly better. But at the same time, it performs better because he's also got the matching tune to go with it. That being the Termi gives you a race ECU with their uh, slip-on setup. I think people forget that a lot when they look at the price too. They're like, mm -hmm. "What? It cost how much?" And my own bike. Exactly. Like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, for instance, my bike, the system, you get the slip-on. Mm -hmm. So I got a titanium pipe slip-on with a carbon fiber can. I got a Ducati Performance tuned slashed ECU, and I got an, a new airbox lid with a Ducati Performance air filter. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're getting a pretty substantial package for the $1,800 that you're paying. Exactly. And you drop it all on, and boom, your bike's making that much more power. And pretty much, I really need a dynamo bike. We need to find out what it's making. <clears throat> True. Granted, we're not riding the most high-powered machines, but still. It'd be interesting to yeah. know, though. Uh, again, yes, you can run... Your GSXR with a full system without a power commander. Is it going to like it? It might run fairly well, yes, but you're also going to be, because you're running lit or rich, you're also going to run a lot hotter. And if you're one of those balls to the wall, pin it to win it kind of guys, you know, who's not happy unless he's got that thing bouncing off the revelator everywhere he goes, Kaboom. it's going to destroy something sooner than later. Uh, Again, it's all in the setup. If you're running a slip-on, I'd still recommend it. It's because your bike already runs super lean as it is from the factory to meet EPA uh, restrictions. But it's not as necessary. So, do you want a power commander? You want something like it, yes, period. Because anything you can do to get your bike to breathe and fuel the way it's supposed to is only going to make it a better ride for you.
Besides, no one wants to ride a boring ride. That's what, that's not boring what bikes are not. They're <laughs> just that. They're boring. Right, right. Of course, you want real excitement. See how fast you can ride a 250 on the road. Yep. <laughs> Pin it. Balls yes. to the walls. Yes, it's much more fun to ride a slow bike fast than a... <laughs> fast bike slow. That's right. Uh, so I guess on that note, we're going to shut it down for the evening. Um, we'll have Shoemake back again on the next episode. Also, hopefully, by next episode, I'll have figured out how to get everything broadcasting on video. So not only can you listen to the idiocy here, and speaking of video, you can watch it. And hopefully, by next week, we'll also have the official YouTube page running. Well, it's already up, but officially well, with new stuff and I should say, fresh we, content. We've got the Wingman's Garage page up. We're working on it. And we'll have our secondary sister channel where you can watch all things motorized. Mm-hmm. And see any... Somebody's very excited because we're using the name she suggested. <laughs> That'd be uh, me, in case you're wondering. Me, right here. You can't see me, but I'm fucking excited. <laughs> I came up with that shit. So anyways, yes, you'll be able to see our single bike reviews in, in addition to our world tours. And mm-hmm. and um, more craziness that we'll actually be getting into. Now, crazy wild adventures in the beginning Wingman's Garage. Yep. So. And you'll also see some product reviews because uh, we've actually got some fun stuff from Bullet Jeans. By way of Oxford Products USA, that we'll be talking about. That's our official uh, first review. Um, in the meantime, also please join us on Patreon. Uh, we've officially got that up and running, uh, so you can get all the podcast episodes to date on Patreon. And if you become a patron uh, for the small sum of as much as you want it to be, uh, you get access to all the pregame shenanigans that happen before we actually start recording as well as some other behind the scenes looks and first looks at things as they come up so you can find that at patreon.com slash wingman's garage <laughs> perfect timing <laughs> not slash meow slash wingman's garage <laughs> And again, if there's something you want to hear or talk about or anything, give us a shout. We have our phone number, 2625-GO-RIDE. Or hit us up at podcast at wingmansgarage.net. I promise one of us will reply. Um, and hopefully by next episode, you'll be able to listen to us on mixlr.com. And actually be able to chime in as we are recording live. Live, live, live. live. You can discuss all things snoochie boochies. <laughs> yep. So closing out episode 20, this is Chris the Wingman. This is Tyler the Hooligan. I don't know what I am. The Rachel. The Rachel. <laughs> saying, have a good night. Ride safe. We'll see you soon. Later, dudes. Want to chime in, Sammy? Thank you for listening to Wingman's Garage. For business inquiries, email us at podcasts at wingmansgarage.net. Turn that shit off. Okay, Daniel.